On this day, churches around the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and for good reason. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in the history of the world, and it's the most important event to our faith. The Bible itself says if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So everything hangs on this. And we could take weeks, literally, to talk about all the blessings and benefits and all of the ways that our lives are enriched and eternally secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want to just zoom in on one of those. And it's one that I promise if you listen this morning, if you really lean in and take this in, not from me, but from God's word, the thing that we're going to focus on is one that can help you and strengthen you right now, right where you are in life today in some very significant ways. Here's the thing. All of us, all of us, at some point in our journey, go through moments or perhaps seasons where we seem to question everything. And as the old man said, if you haven't been there, just keep living. You'll get there. We all wrestle sometimes with doubts and fear and uncertainty. But this past year has introduced questions and fears and doubts and uncertainty at a scale that was previously unimaginable to us. Over the past 12 months, our world has been filled with turmoil and filled with fear. People's lives and livelihoods and relationships have been stolen from them in a way that is absolutely criminal. And what we've seen take place this past year has affected all of us in some way, certainly affected us mentally and emotionally, trying to deal with everything that has happened. And one of the things that I see as I talk with people and have talked with people over this past year is that fear seems to be the dominant force in people's lives. And I understand that. I understand because of all that has happened in the world and all that is happening around the world, fear can easily set in. But I want to tell you something. The risen Savior did not die and, and rise again so that we would live our lives in fear. And so I hope that this message this morning will really be a great encouragement to all of us. I want to draw our attention to another group of believers in the Bible who found themselves in a similar situation. And I want to look how Jesus responded to those people who were in such a dark place. So this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to speak about the grace of Jesus in our moments of doubt. Could any of you use some grace this morning? The grace of Jesus in our moments of doubt. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 20. So we're going to pause this morning in our Through the Bible series and sort of drill in here on John chapter 20. And I'm going to do something today that we don't often do. I think we should do more of it, frankly. But uh, in our microwave society, where everything is push button, and if we don't like what's happening, we just click the remote and we have 957 other choices to, to choose from. You know, we have a hard time with attention span today. But I'm going to do something that's going to maybe push your discipline a little bit this morning. I want us to read the entire chapter of John chapter 20. 
Someone once told me when I was starting out, Phil, if you ever get up to preach and you don't know what to say, just give them the word of God because that's the one thing you know is true. So we can never get enough of this, but I think it'll help us set the, uh, the, the scene very well. So John chapter 20. Now, let's remember what has just happened here. Jesus has been arrested and mocked and falsely tried, beaten, crucified, and buried in the tomb. That has just happened three days prior. Here we are, John chapter 20, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. Now John is writing this and he refers to himself that way rather than using his own name. Uh, It seems to be maybe a pattern of humility So she ran to uh, Simon Peter and to the other disciple, John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they came to the tomb. They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping down to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Well, of course he did. Impetuous Peter, he always dives in head first. He went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the cloth that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Boy, if you've never researched that, you ought to. Powerful lesson in that. Verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. That's John's favorite word. More than a hundred times he uses it in the book of John. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their home, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now remember, it's early in the morning. It's dark. She's weeping. Her eyes are filled with tears. She's confused. She's frightened. Jesus is standing right there, but through the darkness and the tears, she doesn't recognize that it's him. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. And one of the other gospel writers says that the disciples did not believe her because the, the words she was saying sounded like idle tales. It sounded like nonsense to them. Verse 19, on the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. 
Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, let me tell you, some denominations have taken that and gone off into left field. And they teach things about this verse that it was never intended to do. That's for another day. Or you can just research it on your own. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, the one called Didymus or twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. In other words, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Verse 28, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And indeed, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And here's the key verse to the book of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Wow. We have just read one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. And we must not allow the enormity, the the grandness of the event of the resurrection, which was headline news in that day in Jerusalem, we must not allow the, the enormity of the resurrection to keep us from seeing that there were some smaller stories taking place out of the spotlight. There were real people struggling with real fears and real doubts who were living through all of that turmoil, and it wasn't part of the headline news. And yes, the resurrection was the top news of the week. After, shortly after the resurrection, we remember Jesus was walking along the road to Emmaus and he joined two disciples who were walking and he somehow changed his appearance so that they didn't recognize him or perhaps just veiled their eyes. And he walked alongside them and they were, uh, they were discouraged, they were downhearted, they were talking about the crucifixion of their Lord. And Jesus said to them, what are you discussing The Bible says they stopped and they turned to him and they said, are you a stranger in Jerusalem that you don't know what has happened here in these days? So yes, the resurrection was on everyone's lips. It was the biggest story in town. And yet while that big event was the topic of discussion, there were some smaller events taking place that we might easily miss. And I don't want us to miss them, especially one. We must never take lightly what has just happened here. We must try to immerse ourselves into the context, into these people's shoes, as it were. Jesus, as I said, had just been arrested. He'd been beaten, beaten so badly he was unrecognizable as a man. 
He had been hung on a cross in agony. He'd been put to death. And the warning of that was very clear. The authorities were saying to his followers, you see what we did to him? We'll do the same to you if you don't stop believing and preaching in this man's name. No wonder, no wonder the followers were hidden in a room behind locked doors. I can assure you, I would have been right there with them, possibly under the bed. (laughs) It's a very understandable thing. You see, we, we have the whole story. So we know how it all turns out, but the disciples didn't know that. They didn't know that 40 days later, they were going to witness the breathtaking ascension of Jesus. They didn't know that 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was going to come in power in Acts chapter 2 and change their lives forever. Peter, who had just denied Jesus, didn't know that 50 days later, he was going to preach the most powerful sermon of his life. He didn't know that. He was still living in the moment of his denial of Jesus. And as far as the disciples knew, their teacher, their master, their friend was gone forever. They thought it was all over for them. They couldn't see the next chapter like we can. They they were trapped in that moment of darkness, terrified that they were going to be rounded up and put to death too. And it's remarkable that in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that fear and those emotions, one woman, Mary Magdalene, said, I don't care. I don't care who knows. I'm going to the tomb because I want to be with Jesus, even if it's just with his dead body. I just want to be near him. And verse 1 says, she went early in the morning while it was still dark. It's interesting to study through the Bible and see all the times that the Bible says someone obeyed God by getting up early and doing it. Very interesting. She gets up and she goes to the tomb just to be near the body of Jesus. See, her love for Jesus was deep. Jesus had saved Mary from a very, very dark lifestyle. The Bible says that those who have been forgiven much love much. And that was Mary. Oh, she loved Jesus. Jesus had done what no other man had ever done. He had broken through the social stigmas of the day. He had shown her love and grace and kindness and forgiveness. And he had saved her from her life of sin and changed her life completely. And so she followed Jesus and she gave of her personal possessions to support the ministry of Jesus. And she was there standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. When all the other disciples except John had fled, Mary was there at the foot of the cross. And now her Lord has been killed and buried and she can't take it. So she walks through the early morning mist and darkness and she goes to the tomb just to check on the body of Jesus. And when she gets there, She sees that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. And man, she runs back to tell Peter and John. And as soon as they hear this, they both run to the tomb. They look inside and they see that Jesus is gone. Verse 10 tells us that Peter and John went back home, but Mary stayed at the tomb. She stood there weeping. And this word for weeping is not quietly sniffling into a handkerchief. It's sobbing and wailing. And then she looks inside the tomb. 
And she sees two angels seated there where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, why, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've put him. Notice she said, my Lord. They've taken my Lord. Remember back when we were studying Saul? When Saul was talking to Samuel, he always said, your God. Your God. Mary says, they've taken my Lord. This was personal for Mary. Jesus had become her Lord. She turns around and through the tears and darkness, she she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And Jesus asks again, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? I love the questions of Jesus. He usually asks them, you know, for our benefit. He knows everything. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And you just hear in her response the depth of her love for Jesus. She says, sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and watch this and I will go get him. Do we pause enough to take that in? I will go get him. Mary, (laughs) Mary is willing to try and carry the dead weight of the body of Jesus by herself just to make sure he gets an honorable burial, that that his remains are taken care of. What a remarkable picture. Tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And then Jesus simply says one word to her that she had heard him say many, many times over the years, Mary. And a chill went up her spine. And she knew in that instant, she recognized that name from that voice and she cried out, teacher, master. She is overjoyed. And she runs and she clings on to him in total disbelief. This can't be happening. This is too good to be true. I'm never going to let you go. And Jesus says, Mary, don't hold on to me. It's not the time. He says, I I have something I want you to do though, Mary. I want you to go and tell. Have you ever caught this before? Jesus didn't say, go and tell those traitors who deserted me that I'm back and I'm mad. He didn't say that. It's remarkable to see the grace of Jesus in our moments of failure. He says in verse 17, go and tell my brothers, my brothers. Doesn't mean so much to us today, but in that culture, the term brother was a way to express the nearest and dearest term of friendship. These disciples had blown it. They they had abandoned Jesus at his greatest point of need. And here we see The amazing grace that Jesus shows to them in their moment of failure and doubt. He didn't say, man, you guys really let me down. I'm done with you. He wanted the disciples to know, hey guys, even though you blew it, even though you abandoned me in my hour of need, even though you turned your back on me, even though you denied me, I still love you. Maybe some of you this morning have been running from Jesus because you're afraid to face him because of what you've done. Just like Peter who said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. 
My feet are filthy. I don't want you to have to see my dirty feet. And I don't want you to have to wash the dirt off my feet. And, and Jesus said, Peter, I have to wash your feet. That's why I came. I came to wash you. And if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He said, go and tell my brothers. That's beautiful. He used that term of affection because he wanted the disciples to know that even though they failed him, he loved them. And Some of you need to hear that this morning. Listen, I'm all in favor, and if you've been here at all, you know that we preach the whole Bible. We preach judgment and sin and condemnation and punishment and hell and all of that. But listen, I think some churches lean too hard on that, and they beat their sheep every week. You know what? Some people need to be able to come up for air and hear the love of Jesus for them. That he loves them even in their failure. No, he doesn't condone it. We can't do what believers in the day were doing that Paul had to address to say, okay, let me work this out. When I sin, God's grace is there to cover my sin, so I'll just sin more so that I'll get more grace. Paul said, no, don't, don't be an idiot. That's my translation. He said, don't trample on the grace of God like that. No, but listen, some of you, some of you here this morning may need to hear that despite what you've done, Jesus loves you. And he has grace waiting for you. Verse 19 tells us that the disciples were behind locked doors. Why? Well, it says, out of fear. Out of fear. They were afraid they'd be next. But also, you know what? I, I think we, we get a picture of this later when Peter says, you know what? I'm just going back fishing. I, it seems to me that the disciples were also feeling sort of... Uh, I don't know, disillusioned and let down by Jesus at this point. You got to remember, they had left careers and families and homes and friends to follow Jesus. Peter once said, Lord, we have left, what did he say? Everything. We've left everything to follow you. They had invested three years in his mission, and now, as far as they could see, the whole plan had collapsed, and they were left on their own. You ever invest money in something and then have the person skip town with your money? Happened to me once. Lousy feeling. Really lousy feeling. Listen, let's not turn these events here into a Hallmark card. Let's not try to pretty them up and make them nicer than they really are. These disciples were scared. They were disappointed. Dare I say it, they were disappointed in Jesus. Why had he left them after three years? Why had he just left them? They were filled with questions. They were filled with doubts. And Jesus knows that. And so he comes to them personally in their worst moment to, to comfort them and to strengthen their faith. Verse 19 says, The first words that Jesus spoke to them were, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. In fact, three times in this chapter, Jesus said to these disciples, Peace be with you be with you. That's grace, folks. You know, we're usually not like that with people who have hurt us, are we? We usually cook up some kind of revenge. Listen, I've done it too. I, I wrestle with the same things you do, man. I put my pants on one leg at a time like you do. I assume you do. <laughs> we're all the same. We all struggle with the same mess. Boy, when people hurt us, when people abandon us, when people turn their back on us, we don't run into them, and the first thing that comes out of our mouth is, peace be with you. No. The grace of Jesus. Jesus looked right past their failures and reminded them of his love. 
Verse 20, this is so often missed. Everyone usually picks on Thomas. I mean, he's even earned a nickname, Blank Thomas. What is it? Yeah, Doubting Thomas. People always say, well, you know, Thomas had to touch the scars in Jesus' hand. He had to put his hand in Jesus' side where he had been pierced with the spear before he would believe. But they miss the fact that when Jesus came to the other disciples, verse 20 says, he showed them his wounds in his hand and his side. He did that without them even asking. You know why? Because he knew they were doubting too. So really, all the disciples were in, were in the same boat. Jesus, in a sense, said to them, hey, fellas, look, let's go ahead and take care of this. Come on over here. Touch my hands. Look at the scar on my side. Put your hand there if you want. I know you're doubting. It's really me. I want you to believe. But verse 24 tells us that Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Man, he got the raw end of the deal. Can you imagine him coming back? And the disciples grab him and they say, man, we we just saw Jesus. He was literally just here. Like, you just missed him. And and Thomas thinks, oh man, of all times to go to 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee. What a lousy time to duck out. And he just, he missed Jesus. And the disciples are telling him everything that has happened. But all this news is just making his head spin. He can't take it all in. And he says, You know what? At least Thomas is honest. Can we give him that? Maybe if we call him Doubting Thomas, we should call him Doubting Honest Thomas or Honest Doubting Thomas. He said, I I can't take this in. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I, I won't believe. I can't believe. And Jesus cared so personally for Thomas's doubt that a week later he came back to where the disciples were. He made a special trip back just to see Thomas. He came back and Thomas was there. And what happened next must have blown Thomas's mind. Remember, Jesus wasn't there earlier when Thomas came back, when Thomas spoke those words. Jesus wasn't there when Thomas said, unless I touch the marks in his hands and his side, I won't believe. But Jesus comes back now and the first thing he says to Thomas is in verse 27, Thomas Put your finger here. See my hands and my side. See, Jesus knew where Thomas was struggling. He knew that Thomas needed that proof in order to renew and restore his faith. And in verse 28, Thomas gives one of the most beautiful declarations in the entire Bible. He said, my Lord and my God. By the way, people who tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God, wrong. In that day, to call someone God who wasn't the God of heaven was blasphemy. And if Jesus wasn't God, right here, Thomas would have said, whoa, 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 Thomas, don't call me God. But he didn't, did he? He accepted it. My Lord and my God. Just like Mary had said, my Lord. Now, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And can, I, can I ask you this morning, are you honestly able to say that? Are you honestly able to say that he is your Lord and your God because you have repented of your sins, you've believed in his death and resurrection, and you've trusted in him to save you? Can you say that this morning? I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about trying to be a good person. I'm not talking about dropping dropping some money in the offering box. 
Those things are all fine. They all have their place. But when life is over, none of that will matter. It won't get you into heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, you won't get there through Buddhism. You won't get there through Hinduism. You won't get there through Islam. Jesus made the most narrow-minded statement ever made. He is the only way to the Father. You know, what strikes me is something beautiful and, and endearing that after Jesus rose from the dead, he could have gone anywhere and done anything. He could have appeared to kings. He could have appeared to Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and said, hey, guys, remember me? I'm back. No, he didn't do any of that. The one thing he wanted most to do was to go and be with his frightened, confused followers to speak peace to them and to strengthen their faith. Oh man, the extraordinary grace of Jesus. He deals with those so gently who have moments of failure and doubt. He cares for those who have stumbled and fallen. We, uh, was it last week? Last week, we, we looked at the failures of David in 2 Samuel 11 to 24, and we saw those heartbreaking sins that David committed. But how does the Bible sum up David's life? He was a man after God's own heart. And the New Testament says of him, boy, you want a summary of a, of a life? We see David's life as a massive failure, at least the second part. The New Testament says of David's life, he served his generation doing the will of God, then fell asleep. Are you kidding me? Folks, listen to me. That's grace. That's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. John the Baptist, he came announcing the coming of Christ. He pointed people to Christ. And yet so many people miss this. At the end of his life, he was thrown in prison and he's suffering terribly in prison. And right near the end of all of that turmoil in life, he sends a message to Jesus and he says, are you the Christ or should we look for another? What? Jesus didn't say, I can't believe he said that about me. You know what Jesus said? He turned to the person bringing the message and to those around and he said, I want to tell you something. There's never been a greater man born than John the Baptist. That's grace, folks. That's grace in our moments of doubt. Jesus understands the times that we don't understand. He extends grace to us in our worst moments. Maybe you, maybe you need to get hold of that this morning. I don't know where you may be personally in your journey of faith or your journey exploring faith in Christ, but maybe you're there. Maybe this morning your life is filled with fear. Maybe you are confused. You're filled with questions and doubts are looming over your life. And this morning, you don't need somebody to preach at you. You don't need somebody to pound on you. You know what you need? You need to receive the extraordinary grace of Jesus. That's what you need. The resurrection gives to us a living Savior, but the resurrection also gives to us a loving Savior 
who loves us in our moments of doubt, who speaks peace to us in our moments of fear, who restores us in our moments of failure. Mary stood there that morning, surrounded by literal darkness and figurative darkness. She thought Jesus was gone forever, but she turned around and he was right there. She just couldn't see him for a while. She was blinded by the moment, but he was right there. If you're in a similar place this morning, I want to remind you, Jesus is never closer than he is in your moments of pain and fear and doubt. Whatever you may be struggling with this morning, there is grace for you through our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, rejoice in that. If you've never received Christ as your, your Lord and Savior and God, I pray that this morning before you set foot out of this building, you'll settle this matter. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. You say, well, Phil, I try to be a good person. I go to church. As I said a minute ago, that's all wonderful. You may earn gold stars for that here on earth, but it won't get you into heaven. Those things cannot wash away your sin. It's only the blood of Jesus that can do that. Have you ever repented of your sin and turned to the cross and said, I am lost without Jesus. I want to make you my Savior and my Lord. Lord, come and take my life. I lay my life down. I want you to save me and give me eternal life. If you've never done that, as we sing some closing songs this morning, you can do that from the quietness of your heart right where you are. But if you'd like to talk to someone, you can come and grab me. I'll be at the back, or you can speak to any one of our folks here. We'd be happy to help you. I pray that today, wherever you are, wherever you are, this Resurrection Sunday would be one that fills your heart with the grace of Jesus and the hope that his resurrection brings. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.